So, Berto, do you ever are, are are you ever afraid? Are you ever afraid of going insane? Have you ever been afraid? Like, oh my god! Yes, really. I mean, I I don't know if I'm. I, there have been times where I worry uh, about the loss of cognitive control or start seeing weird things or stuff like that. Yeah? Yeah. What does that feel like? Well, to find out, <laughs> you'll find out after the break. <laughs> this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am a professor and I'm also a therapist. Who are you, Berto? My name is Umberto Castaneda, and uh, you know I work on cliffhangers for podcasts. Interesting. So today we're going to talk about fear of insanity, and and I'm not going to identify this stupid Latin, you know, phobia, you know, insanophobia or something <laughs> because I hate those those names, you know. Uh, just you know, because people are like, did you know there's a name for? Fear of chimneys. <laughs> it's called like brickophobia. And I'm like, did you know that someone on the internet just made that the fuck up? And, well, it, and, and, and no psychiatrist or mental health worker has ever used it. There's a thing in the DSM. All it says, guess what? Guess what it says? Phobias. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, it's called a specific phobia. Well, when, um, I, what comes to mind is: Do you remember that uh, Peanuts cartoon with Lucy at when you know when she's doing the psychiatrist booth? Yeah, and uh, Charlie Brown is like, I thought about I, doing that at Greenlake. Actually, I thought about doing going, a psychiatrist booth, a psychologist, at like booth. Five, five cents. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. It would be a good Halloween thing. Yeah, but anyway, so he's there and he's like. He's talking about, uh, uh, you know, that he's not happy or whatever. And she's like, maybe you're afraid of things. Are you afraid of? And she starts asking him all these things. And each time she's naming the Latin name of it. And then finally he's like, I just, I'm afraid of. Oh, and she's like, maybe you're pantophobic. He's like, what's that one? It's the fear of everything. He's like, that's it. <laughs> that's yeah. what comes to mind because she, she lists like 10 different phobias. Yeah. If you go online, you, you will find literally lists of hundreds of these phobias. And all that indicates is someone on the internet decided <laughs> to to invent a bunch of words. Yeah. And Except then, for arachnophobia. That's a real movie. It, yeah, exactly. So, it, and it's funny because why not just say fear of spiders? It's very easy to say spirit. <laughs> it doesn't sound as diagnosable. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, arachnophobia is a thing. Like fear, fear of spiders. That's that's what wimps do. But arachnophobia, <laughs> that's real. That's a real thing. You know, it's like, what about uh, phobia, phobia, phobophobia? <laughs> yeah, it's just like so. So today's episode is about insanophobia, and this is a an email from a patron. Hello, doctor. Hello, doctor Honda. I've had a crippling fear of insanity since I was a young teenager. I'm now 24. It started when my dad told me that my aunt has schizophrenia and that I should be careful. From then on, I developed severe anxiety about it. That I should be careful? I know. How do you care? Well, we'll get into, we'll get into that one. Uh, he goes on, I worried that at any moment I'd start, hearing voice, I'd start hearing voices or begin my descent into madness. Over the years, the schizophrenia anxiety morphed into fear of bipolar, borderline, and other things. Recently, I had a night of insomnia, and of course, my bipolar anxiety was triggered. As I laid there for hours unable to sleep, my mind shifted to future goals, what I wanted to achieve, etc. 
I started reassuring myself by believing that I am capable of handling life, as I've already gotten through this much, and that I could definitely achieve any goals. I quickly recognized that this seemed like grandiose thinking. Oh, no. <laughs> and coupled with my insomnia, I panicked and instantly started researching hypomania on the internet. <laughs> this Googling of symptoms is, is usually the beginning of a painful descent into anxiety and even dread for me. Oh. After, <laughs> I, we're laughing because you and I... I can relate. Yeah. We can both relate. <laughs> you and I have this exact problem, but in sort of different phobias. After a day of feeling lousy from lack of sleep and not having any other hypomanic symptoms beyond that moment of I can do it thinking, I feel pretty sure that I'm not on the bipolar spectrum. I figured that once again, I, sus I succumbed to my fear of insanity. I'm wondering what you might think of all this. Berto, what do you think? That's insane. Um, no, I can actually relate not to this extent, but I have had, oh, you know, a couple things that happened in my life that might have an influence. One, my grandma had Alzheimer's. And two, my grandpa had a degenerative motor brain thing. And it wasn't Parkinson's, but it was, I forget what it was. So, well, for me, just to, on that, uh, along those lines, is my uncle had early onset Alzheimer's. Oh, wow. In his 50s. Oh, in his 50s. So, wow. in 10 years, I could start having Alzheimer's. Right. So, so... Those two things. And then I abstract it because I don't even, it's not even just that I'm like, what if I get Alzheimer's? Certainly that fear is there. But actually, then I, it's so, it becomes this sort of like idea of, man, how fragile the, our consciousness could be. And what if all of a sudden I, I start seeing things, wacky things, ghosts or whatever? Or what if I start to talk and people don't understand me, like happened to my grandpa and stuff like that. And yeah, and so those, those are things that I don't, it, this doesn't happen all the time, but there are times where I sort of sit there and think and it does make me anxious. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I have a number of things to say to, about this patron. One is, and actually I emailed him about this, which, and I'll get to his response. So I'll tell you basically what I was telling him over the email, which was, first off, this that sucks. I can relate. I know what anxiety feels like. For I, I, you can always differentiate people who who have suffered from anxiety and people who can't. The people who who haven't, they just they react like, "Huh? Well, why do you worry? Just, just don't worry about it. Just stop worrying." For people who have suffered from anxiety, they're like, "Oh my God, been there, <laughs> yeah, been there." I mean, for instance, there have been times when, and there's something about at night. When my head hits the <laughs> pillow, I, I, I have some uh, coping skills now that work. Like one of the things I do is I laugh out loud to myself. So, you know, my oh. head hits the pillow. It's dark. I'm, I'm about to fall asleep and my mind's sort of wandering. And I, my brain will go to the worst possible, <laughs> like, it, like, like, well, it, it'll, my brain will go to actually things that will probably happen. Like I'll probably have to have some invasive, horrible surgery at some point. Uh, you know what I mean? Like right, right, right. most people, as you get older, yeah. hip replacement, like I have some back problems. I'll probably have to have back surgery, an old football injury, by the way, this is terrible, but, but, uh, or open heart surgery, right. or the replacement of something. You Brain know? replacement. <laughs> yeah. And so. Which then would cure your anxiety. So yeah. what are you worried about? <laughs> yeah. But the other person, <laughs> gosh, um, 
so my brain will go to these things and and you know these are you know normal things that might happen in the future but my brain wants to put me there uh, you know like i'm on the slab of metal they're putting the iv <laughs> in my arm oh no will i wake up after this surgery Ooh. this is what i'm thinking even if I survive this, I've only got 10 years to, oh, you, know, no. you know, like, like my brain just goes to that. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, I have a number of different ways of coping, uh, uh, notably like just acceptance of the fact that I'm a leaf in the wind and I'm going to die. And it's probably going to, it, it could be horrible. It could be oh, no. quick. It could be, you know, whatever, but it's going to happen. And just accepting that. The other thing is, is that I do is I just laugh out loud at myself. I, <laughs> I laugh. I go, Oh my God, Kirk, that's constructive to think about. <laughs> I say that out loud. And then, and then it, it kind of dissipates. That it, seems you know? like a good tactic. Yeah. I have used the, the laughter at myself uh, I didn't realize it was a tactic, but it makes sense as yeah. a tactic because there have been times where I'm not necessarily about the going crazy stuff, but where I am in my head and I'm in my head and I have to stop and out loud be like, dude, you're yeah. being ridiculous. Right. <laughs> right. Because you are. I mean, what's the point in thinking about that stuff? So, so there's something about your head hits the pillow, you turn off the lights, and there's no distractions, and your brain is free to roam. Right. And and also, I also I, I hypothesize that, and maybe there's brain research on this. I, I've never come across it. That that suggests because we barely understand the brain. In a lot of ways, we don't understand the brain. But there might be some early evidence that demonstrates that certain parts of our brain might start shutting down before others. And so as our head hits the pillow and we're sort of, you know, drifting towards sleep, the part of the brain, maybe the executive system, executive control system, uh, executive function, starts to slow down and not have the ability to check some of those inner brain worries, you know? Yeah. So anyway. That could, that could make some sense. But here's some other things I'll say to – or sorry, did you want to say something? No, I was just going to say that, you know, the uh – the sleep process itself isn't super well understood either. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. The brain isn't understood, and a, a function of the brain is sleep. And yeah. Yeah. See, um, if it's one thing I've learned about learning about the brain is we don't know shit about the brain. Well, and, and like, you know, when I get sleepy or when I haven't had good sleep, my mood sometimes is uncontrollably bad. Yeah. Like I am, I'm aware that I'm in a bad mood and I'm being grumpy, and and yet I can't stop myself. Right. And that's and then when I have a good night's sleep, the next day I'm like, what was I worried about? Like this yeah. is silly. Like, right. and so like even just that chemistry of like towards the end of the day when you're tired and stuff like that. Yeah. Again, speculation based on limited evidence so far that I would say is our brain when it's at its tip top has the ability to check itself, so to speak. Before it wrecks. <laughs> yeah, like they'll, they'll, there, there will be an emerging feeling like that person is annoying me right. or I'm going to die or something. And another part of the brain ha quickly puts that to rest. You right. know, it has this routine that it, that it engages in. Whereas when you're tired or about to fall asleep, those routines start to break down and these fears and annoyances are free to manifest more more viscerally right again just speculation anyway 
Um, so, patron who wrote in. The, the main thing, so we can say we can relate. Yes. And we can say that it, it's somewhat normal. But here's the thing. You're worried about becoming schizophrenic because that's what your aunt had. You're worried about becoming delusional. The thing is, is if you become psychotic, schizophrenic being you know a psychotic uh, disorder, you probably won't realize it. So uh, there's, there's definitely nothing you can. What was the dad? What did the dad say? So be, be careful. careful. Yeah, <laughs> right. So there's really no sense in being hyper vigilant about something that you will have no control over because essentially your brain starts to degrade and yeah. it starts to manifest these things. So there you could you could probably reduce stress to slow the onset maybe or try to make sure you avoid hallucinogenic drugs to right. you know that could push you over the edge maybe but in general there there's no psychiatrist or neuro you know person walking around trying to prevent schizophrenia hmm. you know there, there's no there's no preventative yeah. measures that we know of there there's some research that suggests that it might be associated with the onset but i'm kind of skeptical what of if that. you're just careful though yeah yeah so also um if you're bound to develop psychosis then you're just bound to get it yeah so that uh so i'm just saying that not to scare you but to say that there's zero sense in being hypervigilant. There are other things you can be hypervigilant about, like driving a car. People should actually be more hypervigilant when they're on the road because that is something you have control over. If you learn how to defensive drive or you avoid certain situations that are dangerous, then you can absolutely, if you're hypervigilant, increase your chance of survival. Right. So there are things that you can be hypervigilant about. Getting your flu shot every year, you know, that's something, yeah. you know, but when it comes to schizophrenia, there's there's really no point. What if you start feeling like you're psychotic, but it's all in your head? <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> that was the most meta joke you've ever said in your life. Um, the bottom line here, though, is that you, patron, have a very low likelihood of developing psychosis. It's an extremely rare sort of condition. The general population... It's at about the, a 1% chance of developing any kind of schizophrenia at any point in your life, mm -hmm. which, you know, when you compare to other kind of conditions is extremely low. I mean, 1%. And if you have an aunt or uncle that has schizophrenia, your risk increases to about a 2% risk. Wow. So you have more likelihood of developing other kinds of issues that are in the DSM much more likely than, uh -oh. than schizophrenia. You just made them worried about all those other issues. <laughs> <laughs> um, or any other kind of delusional, yeah. you know, psychotic disorder. Like, uh, aren't there tens of thousands of phobias with Latin names? <laughs> <laughs> and also, since you're 24, and maybe 25 by now, because I think you emailed a while ago, um, you have almost passed the common age range of onset, Oh. So if you're 24 and you don't have any noticeable symptoms yet, because often if, you're, if there is a later onset, like 28, 30 or something, at the age of 24, you'll have, you'll have symptoms, you know, yeah. that are minor. Um, not all the time, but usually there's an indication by 24. So, patron, if I was a betting man, and I kind of am, 
I would certainly bet that you will never develop a psychotic disorder or bipolar, given what you've told me. I would put a lot of money down on that bet because chances are you're in the clear. Having said that, patron, you definitely suffer from anxiety. That's true. <laughs> so I hate to break this to you, yeah. but you do qualify for something in the DSM. Yeah. And it's no fun and games, but it's not losing your mind. It's suffering from debilitating anxiety. So get support for that. Um, but, you know, anxiety is treatable. And right. I've treated myself over the years of my various different anxieties and continue to as it morphs to different things. You know, there was a time I was terrified of elevators. Like there was about oh, really? six months where I couldn't get in an elevator. Gravitophobia. <laughs> <laughs> and I treated myself and... Wait, uh, you really... This is real? Yeah. Weird. What what? what I was afraid of... I was afraid, well, so <laughs> what triggered it was... I was I was coming back from uh, Central Washington uh, every, every every we would me and my friends we would go to like Chelan Central Washington and camp or go to hotels and just sort of get away you know get a boat go on the lake da 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 and we were on the on our way back from Central Washington I was in the back seat of a Honda the very first Honda Civic that ever came out. This the Honda oh, Civics. Yes, I remember this. This is this. These are the smallest, tiniest cars, and the back seat on a good day is not enough space for me. You know, six six one, blah blah blah. Right. But since my friend was, he's even taller than I am. He gets the front seat. You oh. probably caught, probably caught shotgun anyway. So, so I'm right behind. Crammed him. in there. It's a summer day, August. We're coming into Seattle. We're pulling into our Wallingford house, and I fell asleep. Like I dozed off, right? Mm -hmm. And I woke up just as we were approaching the the house, and I had you know when you wake up and you're groggy and you, yes. you, you've been you fell asleep sitting up in a cramped car in uh -huh. this hot no air conditioning. All I wanted to do was stretch my legs, you know. Oh no! I just need I just needed to put my legs straight to kind of just get that feeling, you know, where you could just kind of yes. stretch your legs and. But I couldn't because I, my legs were completely pinned right. by the guy in front of me with his with his seat, and so I'm like, okay, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel good. I just want to. Okay, oh we're almost done. We're almost done. We're also. We pull into the parking space, and uh, and I'm like, oh, thank God. And my friend Jeff in the front in the front seat is kind of dilly dallying, uh -huh. and I'm like, can you can you like make it quick because I. I'm kind of desperate to get out of this backseat. I probably didn't say it that nicely, honestly. I was probably like, get the fuck. Get out! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't that like that. I was more just asking him. I was just yeah. like, I was just, hey, can you hurry it up? And he he was like, oh, really? And he like leaned back. Oh, no. On the on the beat seat, which, which pinned me in harder. Oh, my God. <laughs> and at that point, it, I just, it sent me over the edge. And I somehow like wormed my way out of the pin and started crawling over him. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> to get out of the car. And I got out of the car and and just like, geez, man. And I'm just like, I just really needed to stretch my legs. It would have been nice if you if you could have just let me out. And he's like, he's like, God. Is this a civic hatchback, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. 
a white Civic, like it, uh, like an '83 or '82. Yeah, I had a, I had an '82 silver hatchback. Yeah, um, or actually '79 or something. Anyway, it was the very first Civic. The wow. point is, is that was actually a trauma, wow. even though it was a minor trauma. It because I have an anxious personality it made you somewhat say. claustrophobic. It yeah, it sort of it 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 triggered this traumatic reaction that the next time I, where was I? The, I think I was in an airplane next or um, I think what it was, was I was at work and everyone was going to lunch and we got in a car to go to lunch and someone else was driving. And so Ooh. I was in the back seat oh. and I was like, even though I had plenty of leg room, it was, I, my heart rate started going up and I started to panic. Right. I'm in the back seat of the car and I and I'm just like what is going on? And I'm like and I'm like, "Oh, I think this is because of what happened before, but you know, your brain starts to get real foggy in those situations and you can't all you know is you just have to get the fuck out of that car." You yeah. Know? But I didn't want to alienate myself with my coworkers and so I just sort of endured it. But then after that, I said, I'm never getting in the backseat of a car and, <laughs> unless there's a door. Because oh, if, if it's a four-door, right. then theoretically... You can jump out of the car. <laughs> right. <laughs> theoretically, if push came to shove, you know, I could, I could just jump out. <laughs> so so I, ma- I started making all these, like, rules. Like, don't, don't... Just make up an excuse. Just don't get in a car unless... <laughs> um, and then I was in an elevator... And suddenly it occurred to me, like, well, what happens if it if it breaks down and you're stuck between floors? Or right. Something? And then and then I was like, get me out of this elevator. You know what I mean? And then I got on an airplane, and the same kind of thing happened. <clears throat> and uh, but what the thing about the airplane was, it was a two leg air air airline flight to Vegas. Okay. So it was like to Salt Lake City and then Vegas. And on the first flight, I'm sitting on the airplane and I'm freaking out. <laughs> you know, it's the funny thing is, is all I fucking needed was a Valium. Oh, like, that's sure. all I needed. But because I just never went to the doctor, you know, right, right, like if right. I had a Valium in that situation, problem solved. Believe me, people, if you have phobias and you know when there's going to be a moment of fear, if you take a benzo, you know, problem solved. Take it from me, man. Uh, there have been times when I know I'm going to have severe anxiety, like with like I had dental surgery and I took a couple of Valium and benzo, like, a benzodiazepine. Ben- oh, what if you're benzophobic? Yeah, well, actually, <laughs> some people are. They're pill phobic, right? And so, but I'm telling you, man, benzos, you know, Xanax. Now, of course, you don't want to take them all the time, but you can really make your life a lot better. Whenever I hear people talk about these phobias, are especially prescription, yeah, especially if they're you know like discrete events because not only can you solve your anxiety in that moment but as you go through that moment your brain learns that you can survive these moments Ah, and then the next time you do it you'll be less anxious but anyway i'm on the plane and i'm panicking and my friend uh david broadhead is sitting next to me and he's like what's wrong with you and i'm just like i'm just sweating i'm just like uh i and i grabbed my bag from the overhead bin i was gonna go i was like fuck it i'm out of here like like this isn't uh, this isn't right. worth it. I'm going to, I, you know, I, I don't want to go. <laughs> I'm on the plane. Get oh. me out of the plane. <laughs> and, and something in me just said, do not get off this plane. Just 
just, I couldn't think. You know, you're when you're anxious, you can't right. think. And so I'm just like, do not get off this plane. Just just sit. Just sit in this chair. Do nothing else other than just sit in this fucking chair. And <laughs> and then like we get up in the air and I'm 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 starting to get a little better, but I'm still pretty panicky. Right. I get off the plane and instantly relaxed. Right. But and then I'm like, but I have to get back on another plane right away. Oh no. <laughs> I get back on another plane, this time not so anxious. Because, oh, so the first one helped you. Right, because I because I I I exposed myself to that's what exposure therapy is. Right. You expose yourself to the stimulus that freaks you out and you do it for a sustained amount of time and your brain learns, oh, this is fine. Right. That makes it's sense. the avoidance of the stimulus that actually creates additional anxiety because your brain learns this is a terrible thing. Whereas yeah. if you expose yourself to it, then eventually your brain habituates. So that first plane ride habituated. Second plane ride, little little anxiety, not bad, habituated more by the third plane ride on the way back and the fourth plane on the way back, which we ended up getting first class because one of the guys I was with like knew the the one the of the pilot. people. Yeah. <laughs> and um, only time been in first class, by the way, I think. <laughs> and... I had broken myself of that, of that fear. Cool. And then that was sort of the beginning of the downturn of that whole claustrophobia, Oh, um, which was probably, I don't know, a couple of years or something, maybe a year. Um, but anyway, this is all to say <laughs> that anxious people tend to have their anxiety morph into different things. Once it's like whack-a-mole. Your entire life, you're always coping with another manifestation of your anxiety and just keeping it down because the baseline is, is your brain just tends to go there. And so I'm one of those people and I'm telling you patron that this anxiety, it's, it's whack-a-mole ish. Yeah. You know, it's whack-a-mole able. It's whack-a-mole able. Be- yeah. Whack-a-mole able. Whack-a-mole able. So patron actually wrote back and he said, I'd really appreciate everything you said here. The information you provided is exactly what I needed to hear. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself and get support for your anxiety because you deserve it.